Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, May the 21st, 2017. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsMarinesOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can check out the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcast service you desire. And, uh... That'll be that. Leave me uh, a review on iTunes. That's something big. Like I said, if you could give me some feedback, that's always appreciated. And uh, you guys know me. I'm Mike Silva. I don't think I have to tell you unless you're checking in for the first time. And if so, you go to MikeSilvaMedia.com. You can find out a little bit about me. Got to probably update that website. Now, if you're paying attention, you heard the new intro. And I don't know how it's going to play with you guys, so give me some feedback. I guess Twitter at Mike Silva Media, whether you like it or not. Now, if you're paying attention, though, that is the Meet the Met song from the 70s. And if you listen to the podcast every week so that you know there's the organ music that is what I come back, the music bed from commercial, the uh, was it a Jane Jarvis organ music, I guess we could call it. Is that the right thing? Maybe some of the historians could check in on that for me. And then the outro is the Meet the Mets from the 80s, specifically what you probably, if you're around my age, probably started listening to baseball in the 80s and you heard that music bed coming out of Met games probably on WFAN. So if you know that. So I said to myself, okay, I've got the, you know, what is it called? The the, the Let's Go Mets 86, Let's Get Mets Marized song that, opening to since I started the podcast last year, which tied into the website, uh, MetsmorizeOnline.com, who is the great sponsor of this show and supporter of this show and who has promoted this show. So I found this, and I was on Twitter, and here's how I found it. I found it at Mets Police, at Mets Police, Mets Police, big Mets fan. He's always looking, you know, big-time uh, Mets fan from the 70s. I guess he started watching baseball. Found this on YouTube. I listened to it, and I'm like, that might be a good change. I'm not saying I'm going to shelve the original intro. Maybe I'll 
do something different every week within these two, maybe add another one. But I wanted to try it out. So anyway, you ha- you're not here to listen to me talk about my production of the show, but I thought it was something different. I was trying to get the flow listening to it. Okay, when do I jump in? I'll listen back. Was it too loud? I don't know. I'll have to see what uh, – uh, you know, got to see uh, you know, what you guys uh, particularly like, dislike, what I, what I like, what I dislike, and we'll take it from there. Anyway, uh, enough with the intro. Hope you liked it. If you didn't, we'll figure something out. And if I like it and you didn't, that's, I guess I'm the one who really matters, <laughs> I guess. Uh, anyway, Mike Vaccaro, the New York Post, will be joining me today. I had a chance to catch up with Mike before the Mets took on Anaheim earlier today. I think it's one of the better segments I've had this year. Uh, Mike has written two very talk radio-esque debatable columns in the month of May. One regarding retired numbers and who should be retired and who shouldn't. He gets into it with me uh, regarding Mets' uh, specific retired numbers. Obviously, that is topical more because of what the Yankees did last weekend, retiring Derek Jeter's number two. And there's always some criticism of the Yankees. It seems like they retired just about anybody who has any modicum of success in a Yankees uniform. And then um, you got the Mets, who pretty much don't retire anybody's number unless you walk on water. And I believe when I was part of a roundtable, when I used to get invited, when the Mets weren't really good and they gave a you-know-what about what people, independent media, thought about them, I I got invited to a roundtable. Jeff Wilpon was there, believe it or not. At the time, I was told not to tell anybody that Jeff Wilpon was there. We're going on like five or six years now. I don't think it really matters anymore. And uh, there's some fun stories. I, I probably shouldn't share most of them about Jeff in that meeting. But anyway, they had talked about how the Mets Hall of Fame committee is just – that's what they want. They want to have uh, uh, you know, a very strict interpretation of retired numbers. And Piazza at the time wasn't even retired. And I guess they pretty much had said if Mike gets the Hall of Fame, retires number. If he doesn't, we're not. Anyway – uh, Mike Vaccaro has some pretty strong thoughts about that, and he's going to share those with me, or he shared those with me earlier today. We also talk about another column that came out this weekend regarding managers, and each he went through each team and went through who is their best manager coach in their history. That's also topical considering that Terry Collins this weekend became the longest tenured manager in Mets history, and if that's not enough history for you in one weekend. Jose Reyes got his 2000th, 2000th hit, career hit, as a, not a member of the Mets. Most of them, about 1,700, are as a member of the New York Mets. And if you think about it, Jose Reyes, if he sticks around for the, you know, for a couple more years and plays a little bit, he might go down with the most hits in Mets history. Because when you have the news that came out this weekend that Jose Reyes, um, that David Wright was shut down, from throwing, uh, you know, I think you and I know, and I've been saying this for a long while, I think we've probably never going to see, probably seen the last of David Wright on a baseball field in a playing capacity. I doubt, I doubt we we, we see him at all, uh, you know, in any capacity at any point in time unless he wants to coach. So that, you know, that's obviously sad news. Not, and it's pretty much been buried. Nobody's been talking about it. At all, but that's what uh, you know. You'll hear from Mike Vaccaro in a, in, in a little bit. I had a great uh, sit-down conversation with him. Uh, I guess that's what you call it. It was a radio conversation, but a great conversation with him uh, earlier this morning uh, before the Mets took on the uh, Anaheim Angels. And, and again, it's Sunday, so the Mets get clobbered. What else is new? Every time I come on the air, the Mets seem to get clobbered this year. And uh, you know, I was thinking about it because you had. The, the week, which was the, the 0-6 road trip, seven losses in a row, and you had a couple of really good wins on Friday and, and Saturday, which fell more into the category of where this team needs to be. And I look at the schedule. So this is a really important week for the Mets, a really important week. Right now, you, they come into the game. They were 18-23. and 23, They lost, so they're 18-24. and 24. They're 6 under 500. And if you know any of my credos and rules, and this is a very simple one, and I don't think anybody in the audience could disagree, but I really cannot take a team seriously until they hit 500. You hit 500, then at least that's the bare minimum. That's par. When he's a golf term, that's par for, for, for you to be considered a contender. 
and the Mets going seven games in the 500, they have their work cut out for them. That's almost not quite a month, but that could be about three weeks worth of baseball where you take two out of three. Uh, at least, and you do it consistently to get to 500. So it is possible that it'll take the Mets until Memorial Day, maybe past Memorial Day, to get to par. And then you'll see what, what happens. If you look at the schedule this week, you got San Diego for three. You go to Pittsburgh for three. They go to Pittsburgh for three. Then they have Milwaukee for four at City Field, and Milwaukee's been playing well. And then Pittsburgh for three at City Field. Outside of the three in Milwaukee, and Pittsburgh's not a bad team, so it's not like all of a sudden the Mets are just going to walk all over the Pirates. I think the three against San Diego is really the big one to get three games there, pull within three games under 500, and then you could peck away over the next two or three series by winning those series or at least splitting with Milwaukee and then taking two out of three. You know, it's going to probably be, you're looking at the first week of June. By the time June 6th rolls around, the Mets go to Texas and then Atlanta, you want them to be just about 500. Because if they're still 4 or 5 under at that point, and they play lousy, you're going to start to wonder if this is happening, if this is going to get better. Now, here's where the optimism could, could play. And I'm amazed as I look at these, these numbers. Right now, and this is so frustrating, because if you told me in spring training that the Mets – on May 21st, would be averaging five. And look at it on baseball reference. Coming into today's ballgame, and that didn't change because the Mets scored exactly five runs today, that the Mets would be averaging five runs a game. I would say, wow, they're, they're in good shape. They're probably leading, if not the National League East, they probably are leading the entire National League in wins because their pitching's too good. I mean, they don't need to score five. Last year, they were barely scoring three and a half, four a game. And they struggled, but they were able to win 87 ball games. And, um, and that's not the case. You know why? Because you go down to the pitching, they are last, dead last. And you know, this is runs per game, giving up runs. Not ERA. They're giving up 5.49 runs a game. Now, you know, and I'll do the math real quick. They have given up 225 or 225 runs. And they've played, before today's game, they played, and that didn't get better today, guys. They gave 12 runs today. <laughs> 12 runs today. So in 225 runs in 41 games coming into today's action, take away the 23-run game. That is basically uh, 222 going into 41. How much is the impact? I mean, even if you take out the Mets' disastrous 23-run game against the, uh, the the Nats, they're a little under five runs per game, which puts them right about where the Nationals are. The Nationals pitching hasn't been good. So, you know, it's interesting. You take that one game, swung it one way or the other. The good news is this. I think the schedule right now is favorable for them, and I think even without Syndergaard, without Familia, I don't know when Cespedes, if he's, he's, I'm assuming he's going to pop in eventually in the next 10 days, you would hope, maybe by the end of the month. And they've survived Cespedes um, not being in the lineup. It hasn't affected the lineup. There was a stat on the SNY broadcast that they are second in the National League in runs scored in May. I believe it was the National League. They, they, they've been fine offensively. The pitching has the tools to get better. That's, that's the point. You look at the Mets pitching, you don't see a team that doesn't have something to work with. Yes, Mats and Lugo are probably coming back. I'm going to be a little less bullish on Lugo because he has that partial tear. I know pitchers have pitched through that. The one guy uh, across town has been pitching through it for a couple of years, and until recently when he's getting clobbered, he's actually done pretty well. Wheeler has been uh, positively good when you've, when you've looked at him. He's given you some good outings. I'm surprised. Uh, the Grom seems to be coming around. He, he was gritty. I would have pulled him. I think Terry played with fire. It was the seventh inning. He was way off when he had the, the cut on his or the blister on his on his ring finger, I believe it was. Uh, I'm not one to go gaga over Harvey's outing, but I, I still anticipate him getting better. I think Gazelman has to get better. He's shown a little bit more improvement 
out of the bullpen. I know the bullpen's been bad recently, but I still really believe that it's not a bad bullpen. That it, and, and I like Seawald. I think keep an eye on him. He's a keeper. May not throw hard, but he's got movement. And he seems to be able to go after hitters. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. In 12 innings, he only walked two batters. I like that. So, yeah, you're going to get the Montero clunkers. You're going to get the Tommy Malone clunkers. Uh, you got some, you know, Hansa Robles stinks. I've been saying that for a while. But I, I still think you have enough to navigate from now until the All-Star break to get this where then you could evaluate and say, you know, what do I meet? What do I add in the bullpen? Is the offense good enough? I think that's where you're going to want to add is the bullpen. And you may have to add a starting pitcher if there's somebody there. I don't know if that's a realistic ask because you don't know when and if Syndergaard's going to come back. I wouldn't rely on Familia. Basically, you want to add some veteran depth to that rotation. And is there a swingman type that you could put in there? Because if Syndergaard comes back, uh, do you move Gazelman to the bullpen? See, if you get the veteran, it gives you some options. And then there's the, the story today about Wheeler and innings limits and what, what could happen there. There's so many questions. But the bottom line is, is I think there is at least the benchmark where I could turn around and say, hey, that could get better. That five runs a game or whatever it is, what I just gave you, over five, almost five and a half runs a game is probably closer to six after today. That's going to get better. Will the five runs a game on the offense continue and be sustainable? Maybe not quite because there's still, I think, peaks and valleys. But it's not a crazy overplay. It's not an over-index where you're like, oh, well, this offense can't do this. They're doing it without Cespedes. And Conforto, to, to me, is, is here to stay. He's not, he's not screwed up anymore. It's not like you're looking at Conforto and say, well, he's playing over his head. You haven't got anything out of Granderson. Uh, Bruce, I think, has been historically... Jay Bruce, it's not like he's gone crazy. He's dropped off a little bit in the last week or so. You really haven't got a lot out of first base. You haven't got a lot out of third base. Shortstop's been up and down. Neil Walker just started hitting. Uh, behind the plate, maybe Rene Rivera's over, over-indexed a little bit, but you figure Darno will come and do a little bit more offensively. So I don't think – there's nothing around the offense, around the field, that tells you that this is a crazy overplay on offense. And there's nothing – on the staff that I think tells you that the talent is in there to do better. Unless Matt Harvey is going to play at a 75 ERA plus, which is 25% below league average. Basically, most guys at AAA could do better than Matt Harvey right now, which you and I know is not true. Adam Wilk showed you that. Because Adam Wilk is supposed to be that 4A guy, that the 100 ERA plus is the baseline. So there's your positives. The schedule. That's going to allow you some time to figure this out and get back to par. The offense is doing what you expected, what it didn't do last year until maybe late August. And the pitching, which has been a mess, has to get better. So when you look at it that way, there's hope. And you saw some positive signs Friday and Saturday. Are the Angels a juggernaut? No, but they have Mike Trout in the lineup. I mean, you saw what Trout can do. They're not chopped liver. They got some, some veteran bats. They got some guys like Simmons who kills the Mets all the time. So on this Sunday, where the Mets get clocked again, make you wonder if, like I said last week, it's going to be worth investing in this team. There is, I'm telling you, maybe still a reason for hope, but it's got to turn around soon, and they got to have a good two-week span here. If they're still seriously floundering, going into that Texas-Atlanta road trip, uh, you know, that's starting to get kind of late to be under 500, in my opinion. Yeah, I know they were 16-62 last year, but I also don't know. You've got to assume that the wild card is going to play at about 90 games, uh, 90 wins. And 90 and, and 72, uh, which is, what were they? that was what they were the year they went to the World Series. Uh, you know, you can't be 10 games under or eight games under, too late into June, early July, uh, and expect to all of a sudden go on that monster run. They went on a 27-13 run. I believe it was about 27-13 in August last year. That's playing seriously good. That's, that's like one of the top five in, the, in, in all baseball-type play at that point, and you, you, know, you just can't expect to do that. You can't sit back and wait for August every year. That's not, I know that that's what they keep talking about, but you've got to start it now. And... Uh, and, and that's really where you're at here with this New York Mets club. So 
Uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to take a, uh, a quick break. When I return, you'll hear from Mike Vaccaro. We get into retired numbers, who should be retired, who shouldn't. Um, we get into managers and, and, and all sorts of great debate. We talk about Terry Collins, who became the longest-tenured Mets manager. And uh, I, I really – Mike is one of my favorites. The New York Post is such strong columnist, such strong columnist that uh, you know, they're the ones who I tend to, to go to a lot of times here on this – on this broadcast. So Mike Vaccaro, who's it's been a long time. I think it was probably May of last year, the last time I had him on. But um, had, had, had him on, and we talked about a lot of stuff, and uh, we'll get to it. So anyway, you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And if you can, go to iTunes, subscribe to the show, leave a, leave a comment, leave a review. It is greatly appreciated. We'll be back with Mike Vaccaro right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back. And joining us from the New York Post, uh, Mike Vaccaro. It's been a while since we've talked to Mike. You guys all know him on Twitter, at Mike Vac. Mike, uh, Mike Silva, how, how are you today? What's going on? Mike, I'm doing well. How are you doing this morning? I can't, I can't complain. Now, there were rumors. Were you indeed uh, watching the Mets as a spectator yesterday at uh, City Field? Did I happen to see a picture of you actually putting yourself through that as a media member, as a spectator at a baseball game? A busman's holiday, right? I have to admit that the seats were were were, were so good that uh, that uh, and no pity is required. It was a very, it was a very fun night. My uh, my high school buddies are all Mets fans, poor guys, and so we uh, we had, we we had a a nice little miniature reunion last night at City Field. It was almost uh, uh, completely ruined there at the end. <laughs> yeah, that was that was uh, for sure fun, and uh, you know a lot going on uh, in New York sports. And you've had a, a couple of very interesting columns. One this morning we'll get to in a minute, and. Uh, I guess leading up to the Derek Jeter number retirement ceremony you wrote uh, a little while back uh, earlier in the month uh, about New York numbers deserve to be retired. And it's interesting because I heard Bill Madden uh, on uh, the radio last weekend. Even he, who's covered the Yankees for a million years, said maybe the Yankees are a little too liberal with the way they retire numbers. And, and a lot of Yankees fans I've spoken to agree. The Mets, on the other hand, are, you know, I guess on the other end of the spectrum. Where do you fall? Before I get to kind of, you know, who should be a retired number, who, who shouldn't be, where do you fall on that? You know, I'm, I, I guess I'm somewhere in the middle. I mean, to me, there's there's a couple of ways that you get your number retired. One is if you're, you know, one of the best players ever played, which, you know, so the Yankees certainly have enough room for guys like uh, like Mantle and Gehrig and, and Bruce and DiMaggio. I mean, there's certainly, you know, eight or nine numbers that are no-brainers for the Yankees because of their rich history. Um, and for the Mets, Piazza probably probably qualify. Tom Seaver certainly qualifies. Uh, the, the other way is if you have, is I think if you're an iconic, you know, specific to your franchise, um, you know, and by iconic, you know, you kind of grade that on the scale, right? Because you know, certainly in 1978, Ron Gidry was iconic to the Yankees, but you know, in, over the long, long course of his career, does 49 deserve to be on the same place in the wall as? say, seven or two or three. I mean, it, it, it's, it, what's fun about it is we can debate it all day. But it's certainly under under those terms that I would say that somebody like Keith Hernandez belongs, you know, with his 17 retired at City Field. Certainly, that's going to be the argument that is going to be made by a lot of people, probably including ownership, when they put David Wright's number on the wall, right? Because uh, David Wright basically is going to, if you assume that, you know, I guess, you know, no, no, no assumptions, uh, 
uh, probably required yet, but I would think David Wright's number five is going to go on the wall at some point. He's probably not going to be the guy who leads him to a World Series the way Hernandez did, but he's going to obviously be an iconic member of the, fr- of the franchise, all but certainly will have played all of his career with the Mets and a very good career. I don't think anybody would well, – I mean, it's not anybody. There are people who would argue that, that, that because of what the Mets have used their standards, that Wright doesn't belong either, but I would think that a, that a wall – in 20 years, it doesn't include number five. Would be, you know, missing something. But I think I think it's missing something now, without 17 or eight. So that's you know really interesting. Gets a, a lot of meat in there. Wright's interesting. Before I get to the Carter Hernandez, which I agree with, and and unfortunately Carter's not around anymore to enjoy a celebration if they decide to do that. Was that Wright? Uh, not that the fans dislike him, but he might be the one that would go down. As leaving the fans wanting, even I mean, Strawberry and Gooden would fall into that, but there was still a lot there for whatever reason. I, if you polled a bunch of Mets fans, would Wright feel like? And I agree with you. You know, the guy's been with the Mets his entire career, leads in every offensive category, had some great years early on. But because what has transpired the last five years, even more going back to when City Field opened, you might get a different response from Mets fans, but they just don't feel it. Which is that little you know thing that we don't really. We can't we can't explain statistically, but yeah. just something to think about. Yeah, I would agree with that, and you know it's funny because I I, be, I wrote a, a fairly long David Wright piece a few weeks ago, and you know even even someone like me who's covered you know the Mets pretty extensively for the entirety of his career, you kind of forget how good he was, which is really kind of amazing, right? Because usually, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and you start to, you know, I, I think I think in, in, in most people's case or players' case that when they go, you know, when, when, when you spend all this time away from the game as, as Wright has, you know, I think people tend to overestimate how good you are. Uh, and I think it's the opposite with the, with the Mets fans and Wright. I, think, I, 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 I know it was with me. You forget, you know, just how good he was in 06, 07, 08, even, you know, 2000. Even when the season started to turn, you know, he had some pretty solid years. And you forget about that, just, just how good he was. And that's, uh, you know, it, it's a very interesting and unique thing to David Wright, I think. Because, like I said, usually when you wind up spending time outside the game, you know, people tend to overestimate how good he was. Very true. And his counterpart that came up about the same time, Jose Reyes, got his 2,000th hit last night. And that's not chopped liver. Look, it's not Derek Jeter. Um, but if you start ranking him, and I haven't done that, uh, but if you start ranking him among shortstops or those who play shortstops a large percentage of their career, uh, that's not chopped liver for the position, uh, Mike, at all. Uh, you know, we kind of forget about that. You do. I, I have to admit that, you know, that, that I saw that, uh, that on the scoreboard yesterday. And I, I mean, I guess you can't say you're stunned because, you know, he's been around a long time and he's had some good years. And so what happens is you compile numbers. But uh, I, I guess, you know, in, in, in my mind, well, even though you know, especially when you watch him, you know he's not 23 anymore. I think in a lot of ways he's frozen in time uh, as being 23, 24 years old and, you know, the, the, the fastest guy in the sport and most exciting player in New York, blah, blah, blah. And you kind of forget that he had a lot of years where he collected a lot of hits, you know, and, and, and that is, that's a substantial milestone, you know. I mean, I, I don't think anybody's going to delude ourselves into thinking that we're going to have a conversation about Jose Reyes being a Hall of Famer or, for that matter, even if his number seven will ever go on the wall of City Field. But he's had a very good career, and, uh, you know, some of that has been colored by the fact that he had the off-field problems, and, you know, that should be a factor, I think, in the way that we, you know, view the sum total of Jose Reyes' public, you know, professional life. But um, he, he really has had a, he's had a very good career. It's, it's encouraging to people like me, I think. I mean, I've always, I, as a baseball player, I've always had a real soft spot for him because I just, I just thought that he came as close as anybody in the Mets have ever had uh, to really channeling, which would you know, was kind of a national league treasure for New York, which is Jackie Robinson, as a player. Obviously, you know, we, we're not going to talk about anything correlating the two of them for what they went through, uh, you know, personally on the way up. But as players, you know, and I never saw Jackie Robinson, obviously, but you see film and you hear stories, and you know, even last night, you know, it's funny. Uh, it, it was hard not to think about that. You know, a couple of times he's on third base and he's doing that thing that he you know, always did back in the day, where he's you know, charging a third of the way down the line, trying to get in the pitcher's heads. And I think we all remember, you know, that actually worked against Armando Benitez one, one right. day probably in 06, 07. So, and that's the kind of thing that, you know, at least on film, you know, you see Jackie Robinson do all the time. And so that's to me, you know, Jose Reyes is always the guy I thought that was a modern-day tribute to to Jackie Robinson, certainly in his heyday. Maybe not so much anymore. 
but it is encouraging to at least see him over the Mendoza line now that, uh, you know, his struggles, which have lasted almost two full months, I'm not going to say they're over, but he certainly seems to be on an upswing. And, you know, look for this, for the overall greater good of the Mets, I mean, certainly they're a better team if Jose Reyes is playing well. So, uh, and, you know, I think you see the way he's played the last couple of days and you see the fact that, he, you know, it is a great reminder when you see on the scoreboard that that's his 2,000 pitch, just how good a baseball player this guy has been for, you know, the better part of 15 years. For, for sure, I would be Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. You bring up off the field and character, and that's where Strawberry and Good in it, which is, which is very interesting. Even though, again, talk about leaving fans wanting, um, they certainly did. Uh, that was certainly, you know, a period where there was some so- very solid numbers. Uh, you know, they, when they 1990, when Stra- if they put Strawberry and Good in at that point, I know Gooden was there longer, but if you stopped right there, you still had a Hall of Fame conversation. Uh, and they already had had some problems. Uh, it's how will that be viewed as time goes on as they continue to do? And Doc is trying to looks like clean up his life. Strawberry, at least from a public persona, has cleaned up his life, doing some good things. I wonder how that plays and eventually at some point getting honored. Probably not on the wall, but it, it isn't something that should be totally discounted. You know, Mike, it's a great point. And look, I mean, there are there are you know stratus or, or tests if you will, to have the Yankees, you know, honor their players. Some guys get retired numbers, some guys get plaques, some guys get statues, right? I mean, so I, I'm not saying there has to be a uniform way to do this for teams all across professional sports, but I do think, I, I think that what is, what, is, what is glaring right now is that there is no representation for the greatest team in franchise history. Now, part of that, I suppose, can be, you could say is a tribute to that team, the 86 Mets, who are you know, very much the, the product of the sum of their parts. Okay, that's fine. But there should be somebody with some representation on the wall. Um, it's never going to be the manager, probably because, you know, number five doesn't belong to David Johnson anymore, better or worse. So that number is David Wright's, and that's, so that's never going to happen. Um, I understand to a degree why the Mets would be reluctant to have a full-blown ceremony for 16 or for 18 just because of the off-field problems they had. And the fact is, you know, speaking very frankly, the Mets probably would have been uh, talked about in a whole different light, whole different realm, if Strawberry and Gooden specifically had kept their careers on track and their lives on track. I mean, you know, there is a sense of underachievement when you talk about those Mets teams of the 80s uh, because they only won one championship and only played in one World Series uh, and, only really fin- and only finished first twice, you know, when they were the best team in baseball for probably five or six straight years. Uh, so I understand that, and, I, and, and, and the, you know, the, the prime culprit for that is, is what happened off the field with their two, you know, most potentially, you know, explosive players. That said, it doesn't explain seven. You know, that's why I think seventeen is such a great number retirement because it's not only honoring Keith Hernandez, who I believe deserves to be honored because I believe that the acquisition of him was a tipping point in franchise history, even more so than say Piazza or you know the the, the rise of the recent Mets because you know in 1983 there were a lot of people, myself included, who thought the Mets were irre, you know irreversibly on their way out, and I mean like out to where they. Had already become irrelevant, and who would even notice if they they had left town? And one acquisition in 1983, Keith Hernandez turned the tide, you know, really permanently. And I think that that needs to be recognized somehow. I really do, and I think he really is the key to that. And so, if not, and and if nothing else, I think 17 would represent that era of team history, which I think needs to be represented. It's it's a glaring omission on that wall that you have. You know the 1962 Mets, were represented by Casey, and I, you know I can go you know a couple hours on whether that's you know a, a legitimate retirement. And certainly the 69 Mets are represented by Seaver and by Gil Hodges, and both are you know rightfully so. And you have kind of like the you know, the modern Mets represented by Mike Piazza, but I just think that in terms of the the context of their history, the notion that 86 is completely overlooked uh, really. You know, in any substantial way in the ballpark, it, it's crazy. I know people go nuts. There's no Tom Seaver statue, but there is a Tom Seaver entrance. Where there's a Tom Seaver bust. There's a Gil Hodges bust. You know, there's there, there's so very little representation for the signature team in team history. Uh, and as you can see, is something that, that that I think about a lot. I mean, it just that that bothers me. That's a team that I really, probably for me it's a personal thing because you know I was 19 in 1986. So. I mean, you know, probably your prime baseball caring years are between 14 and 20 before you get out of the real world while you're still, you know, kind of figuring things out. And so as a result, that it, it really, I find that irksome that there's no uh, official representation of that team anywhere that's, you know, substantial in that ballpark. And I think the best way to do that would be to retire 17. 
And he's almost become the Mets version of Phil Rizzuto now in the booth. Uh, you know, with this booth work, and we're going on over 10 years now, which is amazing. Because I remember SNY and Keith getting in the booth like just when it started. Uh, you have a, a much larger resume. It's not just, well, this guy played for the Mets from 83 to 89. And I think after mid-year 88, 89 was a wash for him. So it was just, he sure. was a cardinal from a if, – if Hernandez ever was to go in the Hall of Fame – I think he goes a cardinal as a cardinal, right? Absolutely. An MVP is a cardinal, so I mean, yes, absolutely, right. I agree. But now he's got the broadcasting uh, thing going on. I, I personally enjoy him. I know he's gotten himself in hot water a couple times. I mean, you probably would have a Keith Hernandez day, and he wouldn't want to show up. He'd Skype it in from uh, Sag Harbor. You know, <laughs> from Sag Harbor, right? But um, I think it changes it. And look, another—I don't know how long Hernandez wants to do this, and it doesn't sound like he wants to stop. Uh, you know, he becomes a different type of Met because now one generation looks at him in one way, another generation looks at him in in another way. Uh, and guys like you and I, you're a little bit older than I. I mean, I remember Hernandez more 86 and after. You probably see a little bit more of him when he first came over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's a whole generation of Mets fans that see a guy in two different ways. That To me, that could go down as at least from an anecdotal standpoint as somewhat of an iconic player. You made, great, you made a couple of great points there, Mike. You know, the, you, you likened him to the Mets version of Rizzuto. And it's funny because Phil Rizzuto, who was a very good player, would never have, would never have come close to, the, to Cooperstown. And some would argue still doesn't deserve to be there. That's a whole different conversation. But he never would have come close to even people talking about him getting to Cooperstown and probably would never have had his number retired, at least not, you know, when it happened, you know, at a time when he was still young enough to enjoy it. Had he not been a broadcaster, it was the second half of his of his of his tenure as a Yankee that really kind of made him beloved. I mean, you know, and I, I think that really helped his his stature both within baseball, but even more so within the Yankee community. Um, and I think that that's a great point to to, to to make about Keith. I've always said, for instance, with Gil Hodges, when it comes to the Cooperstown Hall of Fame, that okay, if you want to argue that he wasn't a completely Hall of Fame baseball player, even though. When he retired, he had the most home runs in the National League for right-handers in history, which is amazing thing people don't realize. And he certainly can make a case for him as a baseball player. But if, you can also make a strong case that he's just short. That's fine. That he's not, you know, with his teammates, Duke Snyder and Jackie Robinson and, you know, on that one. Okay, that's fine. And you can say that he wasn't a, a historically great manager, sadly, because he didn't have a chance to, to, to manage more than five years. Um, so you can say that individually both those things, you know, maybe if you're, you're judging one or the other, he falls short, but when you combine the two of them, to me, it's, it's an absolute no-brainer that this guy belongs in the Hall of Fame, a core member of the Boys of Summer, who also managed the 69 Miracle Mets. That's a Hall of Fame life, and so to me, when you combine the two of them, he belongs. In the same way, I suppose you could argue that Hernandez, you know, is, 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 is his time in the Mets is more celebrated than the, than the years, you know, total years would indicate. Uh, you can argue that he was mostly a cardinal. You can argue that maybe in retrospect he wasn't as great when you look at his numbers, as maybe you thought in the context of time, all I know is that the 1984 uh, season was the most important one for the Mets because it, it ended seven years of losing, and suddenly you, you look at this team in a whole different way, and Peter Hernandez finished second in the MVP vote that year. It's amazing to think how different things might have been if Ryan Sandberg had, like, sprained an ankle in May that year. <laughs> and Hernandez, you know, not only would have won the MVP, but the Mets probably would have won the East. That could have changed things a lot in the way that, that he's perceived. But I absolutely believe that when you combine what he mentioned to the Mets as a player, what he produces a player, and what he is now as kind of the voice and conscience of the team, uh, to me it's a no-brainer. I mean, I, 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 every year I make a point of trying to somewhere in my column say, where is 17? To me the two glaring omissions in all of New York sports, Mike, you know, are Keith Hernandez 17 at, at City Field and Bernard King's number 30 at the Garden. And I, 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 I'm so passionate on, in, in terms of both of those, those uh, outlooks that I, I have a hard time understanding the con argument for both. But but even, but even in those two, uh, 17 to me is is more the, the puzzling no-brainer than the number 30. That's some great points. I have uh, Mike Vaccaro with me of the New York Post. So the weekend that Terry Collins becomes the longest-tenured Mets manager, you write uh, a very interesting piece about the best coaches, managers in New York for each individual team. And, uh, you know, if you haven't read it, if the fans haven't read it, no, Terry Collins is not going to be named. Although, I'll tell you what, man, just to get You would have canceled that. my appearance. You would have canceled well, my appearance if I put Terry Collins number one. No, I would have, I would have loved to have you on. And look, here's the thing. I've, I've met I'm Terry kidding. a couple times. You know, uh, he's a good guy. Um, 
I don't like the way he managed the bullpen. Uh, I feel like he was he, – He's. I just think that exactly – and your, your colleague Steve Serby wrote a great piece about him today. He was supposed <clears> to be caretaker, and he's hung around a lot longer, and he's got some good qualities. Yeah, uh, the interesting he, thing he, is – he's, he's a very frustrating guy for people to watch day to day. I know this not only because of, uh, of, of monitoring the way people talk, fans talk, but just watching him. I mean, it, it is a – it's sometimes a maddening thing to watch day to day. There's no question about that. And here's the thing, because when I look at your column as a as a fan that started really watching sports at nine, ten years old, which is like eighty six, eighty seven, you don't really understand sports until you get much older. Like you said, fourteen to twenty is when you start to develop maybe a little bit more of a mature sports opinion or knowledge of it. And now with the internet, geez, these kids that I hate selling like a part here. They are much right. they're much more savvy at like you know, ten, eleven, twelve years old. Like Pat Riley's my guy. Like everybody else falls below that. Like if you don't mm-hmm. fall and it doesn't matter what sport, Pat Riley's my guy. But that's me. So it's hard for me to wrap my head around and it's a total wheelhouse time as a fan, right? Sure. Right. Bobby Valentine's another one because I respected a lot. I know he was he was different, but I respected a lot of what he did with that group. Um, so when I see guys like Collins and to a certain degree, Joe Girardi have the longevity and I look at them like that, that, that's not what I think should be the guy that lasts forever. Riley didn't last long enough. I felt Valentine could have you know, lasted a couple more years, but anyway, I digress. Uh, it was very interesting. You put Gil Hodges as the, the best, uh, you know, manager in, in Mets history. And even with the, the, the giants, football giants, uh, you put Coughlin ahead of Parcells. So yeah, talk about that. I mean, not just from a Met baseball <laughs> perspective. You, you got into a lot, and it's a hard thing because you there's managers that uh, back in the twenties, you know, Stengel, uh, McC- you sure. know, uh, McCarthy. You just you just you never saw them. McGraw, uh, so on and so forth. Right. You know, I, Mike. To be honest, these are the most fun columns I do in the sense that I know when I write them that they're going to be essentially you know interactive conversations. Thankfully, with the with Twitter, with Facebook, with with uh, with email. Uh, my readers are, are not bashful about, you know, about, about interacting. And what's good is that as I've done more and more of these kind of columns, I think people understand it's not church. <laughs> I'm not trying to say, you know, right. you know for, it's with the Giants. Like, I mean, I understood from the moment I wrote it, and I won't deny that part of the reason, you know, the tie-breaking vote for me, I voted for Tom Coughlin over Bill Parcells, is because I knew that people would say, What? Or they, and it was interesting is that more than people than I thought have actually called and, and agreed with it. But it's 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 a kind of thing that just but it's sports. It's not right. It's not wrong. I mean the world the world is not going to end or or extend because of what your choice is, whether it's Coughlin or Parcells. It's a fun barroom sports conversation, which really is what all this stuff should really be. I mean, look, I mean, we can rip the manager of, of any team or the coach of any team. It doesn't mean that we want to get. It just means that we like our teams. Um, and I think that, that you know, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I think the more I've written these columns, more people understand that it's, it's, it's designed to be fun kind of conversation. So that said, so for instance, like, even with the Mets, you know, and it's funny, I, I, you know, I have a friend who is probably your age, you know, I'm, I'm going to say probably, you know, eight, nine, ten years younger than I am. And, and you know, all, the, all he knows about, okay, so that makes you exactly ten years younger than me. So, you know, for you and for him, I mean, you know, all Gil Hodges is a name is, is a name in a in a history book. Um, and so you you saw and you lived through Bobby Valentine, and you know, again, as we talked about, you know, certain things. You know, if if, if, if the Mets only could have won that 2000 World Series so much, that's just not the franchise, but the way that Bobby Valentine is viewed would be so different. And I think that's fair because I think Valentine absolutely belongs to, to to be considered because he, you know, the job he did with the 2000 Mets to me remains one of the most remarkable managing jobs anybody's ever done anytime, anywhere. Uh, you know, I mean, Benny Agbiani was a starting art fielder in the World Series, for God's sake. Right. Um, so, but, 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 yeah, I mean, those things are, you know, those things are eternal debates. And I love that. I, I love that about sports. And I love being able to talk about stuff like that. And with the Mets, to me, I think the hard is because for the same reason I told you that I think that him managing the 69 Mets puts him over the top as a Hall of Famer. To me, I mean, I think that's a singular historic accomplishment you know, in sports that is unparalleled because there just isn't a real professional sports parallel to the 69 Mets. And Gil Hodges, you know, if you talk to any of the players who played for him, was singularly responsible for them doing that. So um, that's how come to me. I mean, and I'm probably intractable about it. I mean, Terry Collins or the next Mets manager could come in and win three championships in five years. I'd probably still pick Gil Hodges for that reason. Um, and, you know, but, but I think it's I think a great argument can certainly be made for Davey Johnson, who never had a bad team. And certainly for Valentine, who took, you know, Drek 
from or you took over direct from Dallas Green and, and led them to the World Series three years later, which is you know, in itself a remarkable achievement. So, but and it's that's a, you know, very important. That's very important because if you go back to the climate of New York sports, I mean, the Yankees in '96 and then '97, the Mets coming back. I mean, I don't want to say it's the golden age of baseball, but there was a feel about this town in baseball from 97 to about 2001, 2002. I've never really felt it. When you combine Mets-Yankees since, yeah, you had 06 and the 15 World Series run, but I'm talking about both teams, both fan bases at the same time. Um, the Knicks and basketball, and even the NFL were behind. It was a basketball town, in my opinion, for mm-hmm. the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. I now that's maybe part of my problem. I've never felt like that Mets Yankees thing has ever been the same since 2001, since Gonzalez's uh, ball went over Jeter's head, and, and and after that 9/11 thing, it's just different now. Maybe it will never be the same, and maybe that's because the Mets were so bad, and the Yankees had not won in so long uh, that for the first time maybe ever you had both teams competing against each other. And in in theory, I mean the Mets were competing for championship, even the Yankees probably had a more likely chance uh, for championship at the same time. Yeah, it, it's a great point, Mike, because you can never replicate the first time, right? So, I mean, the Mets and Yankees shared this town for years, for decades, and were, were, were quote-unquote rivals only in the sense that they both shared the, the, the town name. And they never played each other except for the Mayor's Trophy game and maybe one or two games in spring training, but no one cared about that. They were never good at the same time, right? I mean, when you look back between 62 and 1998, they almost never had winning records in the same season. Certainly were never, you know, close to uh, to, to winning a pennant with very rare exceptions. 85, both teams, the Yankees won 97, the Mets won 98, and they were both went to the final weekend of the season before they were eliminated. But that didn't happen. I mean, they didn't, they didn't both get there. And 85, for me, was the year that I always looked back in over the next 10 or 12 years, like, gee, I wonder if we'll ever get like this in New York. That would be cool. And then it did, you know, and, and yes, I, mean, I, I don't think in that era the Mets ever quite approached the Yankees because the Yankees had just become such a phenomenon. But it, it became a pretty loud town. I mean, you know, it's, suddenly you're looking up and six and seven million people are going to the two ballparks, and it's organic. It's done because both teams are playing well. And to me, I mean, you know, I know I've fed the debate probably in my time about, you know, which is your Yankees town, Mets town. I mean, to me, it's a baseball town. And the fact is, that's what's cool about it is the fact that. You earn it here, you know. I mean, people don't just go to Yankee Stadium blindly because of the Yankee took. I mean, you can look at their attendance. And certainly we've discovered that with the Mets. I mean, when the Mets are good, you know, the the, the town becomes rabid. When they're not, it's, you know, it's it's a ghost town out in Flushing. So, and I think that's great. And and the fact is that, you know, 99, 2000, uh, and even in 2001 when the Mets kind of made their run in September after 9-11, I mean, it was – it was a baseball town defined entirely by the success and the uniqueness of getting what, like, our fathers and grandfathers had years and decades ago with the Giants and the Dodgers and the Yankees. We finally got that. And you can, it's never going to be the same the second time around. It's just not, you know. I mean, the Mets can recover this year and the Yankees can maintain and they can both, both make the playoffs, but it's just not going to be the same, you know, for us, for guys of our generation. You know, maybe it'll be different for, for kids who are 12, 13 years old experiencing for the first time. And that's pretty cool for them, but it's you know you can't ever really replicate <clears throat> that feeling you know uh, of the first time. And I, I just it was never I can, I can promise you it was never more fun to write about baseball in this town than it was in 1999 or 2000. Those two years, you could go to either ballpark at any day of the week on a Tuesday afternoon or a Sunday night, and you were going to have something to write about and something to talk about. And uh, it's just going to be you know it's, it's hard to replicate that when it's already happened. That's for sure, and no nothing. And I don't know if you were covering that series as a journalist, but that '97 series, and I, I was watching. I think over the winter they had put the Maliki game on uh, SNY, right. and I was watching it. And I'll tell you what, there's very you know there's certain ball games, and as you say, as you get older and and life gets more complicated, it becomes less important. But there's certain ball games you could remember details and remember what you were thinking, what you were eating, what, and that was one of those because as a Mets fan watching that, it was your chance to. For, for the for the media, for the Yankee fan base, for the city to take you seriously because they still weren't being taken seriously, even though it had a nice little start on the Valentine. And that series at Yankee Stadium, I, I even though there was fun times, 98, 99, 2000, that one always has a different feel. And it's hard for me to explain here on the air and for those who weren't there watching it, but it just had a different feel. It was unique. Yeah, it was know, new. It was like, wow, this is the World Series, right? In some ways, they felt like it felt like a World Series. You know, it's funny, Mike, and I can give you a, a short personal anecdote about that. Is I was actually out of town for 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 for, for a year. I, I was working at the Kansas City Star, 
Uh, that was my, was my first big newspaper break. So I, I wasn't there for that. And I remember watching it on a bar, at a bar in downtown Kansas City, watching that first game, the Maliki game. And, you know, as a guy who grew up just, just completely covered in New York baseball history, Subway Series, Yankees, Mets, Yankees, you know, Dodgers, Giants, all that stuff. And I just remember saying to myself, all right, it was, it was almost like an epiphany. Like I always kind of been, in my mind said, yeah, I really want to get back to New York, and I, want to, I definitely want that to be my career goal. But I can remember specifically watching that game and thinking to myself, man, I'd love to be there. I'd love to be writing about this. This is what it's about, you know. And the Mets and the Yankees are finally playing. i got to get back to New York. And, you know, a year later I was. I mean, I'm not saying it was that game that got me back to New York, but I very distinctly remember saying to myself, I want to be a part of this, you know, whatever whatever my small part can be. And, you know, I'm not, you know, and as a member of the media, you know, what we do is chronicle it. You know, and 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 uh, maybe that's not as important as actually, you know, crafting the history yourself the way the players do. But it's but it's fun to be a part of, and I can very distinctly remember watching that Maliki game and saying, "Man, I want to be a part of that. That's what I want to do." And, and, uh, and if anybody was watching, and anybody was watching the Calipari thirty for thirty, you got a little a little love there. <laughs> Two years later, you go from Kansas City to uh, to chasing a narcissistic head coach down in New York. And it plays into my right. it plays into my next my next point, but it must be pretty cool. Must be pretty cool for you to be sitting there. I don't know if you realized that they were going to put your column up in that uh, documentary, but to see your uh, your byline there, that's got to be pretty cool. I won't lie, yeah. I mean, look, we 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 we, we all have uh, you know some people look at the word ego in a bad way, and certainly it can be a bad thing when your ego rages out of control. But when you see something like that, I mean, look, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to call my, my, my friends and relatives and say, hey, turn on the ESPN. But <laughs> certainly when I see it, you know, my wife was sitting there and she was like, well, that's pretty neat. You know, it's like, look, look, look who's there. And, and uh, you know, there were a couple of friends of mine who were watching. And so I heard from every one of them who saw that, which is kind of, look, I mean, it's cool. Look, we, we, you, you're, you're not a bashful guy, Mike. I'm not a bashful guy. We're going to give our opinions. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to get, you know, especially sports. What's great about right. sports, you know, and I feel, I feel bad for like the political columnists who, in most sure. years, are allowed to at least once in a while, you know, have a, you know, throw a softball at the readers and just kind of have fun with it. There's no such thing as having a writing a fun political column in this climate, no matter what side of the aisle you sit on, right? So. Um, it, it, the, the great thing about sports is that you do get these reminders every now and again that it's fun. It's okay to have fun. Like I said earlier, it's not church. It's just games. And when you guys like you and I are fortunate enough to be able to, to, to you know, to, to have our opinions heard by people, it's, it, it, it really is fun. And, and it feeds the, what I would say is it feeds the good part of your ego, the part that makes you want to write tomorrow's column or do next week's show. Right. Uh, last thing, you know, ties into the manager thing. Uh, you know, and bring you know, brought up Calipari. You know, I, you've been doing this a long time. Managers, coaches, uh, even you know, uh, coordinators here—they're always on the hot seat. It's changed a lot. And look, one of the things that a lot of fans and they're on the outside looking in, are like, you know, I think Terry Collins has had pretty fair coverage uh, compared Absolutely. to some no, others. No, no, I mean, no Van question. Gundy, I agree with that. Maybe Riley was the only one that I think was always hands off, and I think Riley would have chopped anyone's head off that criticized them. But even he's a guy that sat Rolando Blackman in the finals, and there was slight criticism, but Terry yeah. lived but a charmed life. And he, I was thinking about this before you and I got on the air today. Almost because he's taken on the column, and it was while I was reading Serbi's column, this survivor, I wasn't supposed to be here moniker. Yep. I think there's a sympathy from the media because naturally media fans go towards a survivor in, a, in, a, in sports where talent – uh, and, and good grace usually gives you a lot of rewards. I, I wonder if that's what's played into it. I'm not saying that they're completely soft on him because I don't want to like you know, m- you know be unfair here, but I don't think he gets hammered like other Mets managers or other coaches in this town um, have in the past, even the successful ones. I bring up Van Gundy, uh, Rex Ryan. You know, I mean, some of those guys brought stuff on themselves, but think about that because it's pretty ironic in this town that that's, that's been the case. Even Girardi's gotten hammered. And almost got fired yeah, early on in his. Absolutely, I, I'll give you two thoughts on that, Mike. One is that I think that I think the fact that the Mets have had the, the narratives they've had the last two years um, have allowed people to really latch on to, the, to this notion. And I think it's right, but it, I, I, I can't swear to you it is that you know that, that this that this guy's special talent, for better or worse, is to rescue teams from 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 hopping into the abyss from from. From from completely just you know like 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 the Marlins had the last two years. I mean you know it's it's it, it's now you could also make the counter argument well who pushed them that close to the abyss you know so so it, 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 it's it's a fair question. To, to me I, I liken it 
not entirely, but to a degree to conflict in the sense that I think a lot of us try and be fair in the media, okay? And I think I don't think everybody adheres to this rule, but another rule that I, that, 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 that I try and adhere to is you get one shot to fire a guy. <laughs> and so you better make a count. And, and, right. so, and, I, and I do that because I think, it's, I think it's too easy to just say, well, we've lost, you know, football teams lost three, you're going to fire him, you know? I think you get one shot to fire a guy. And after that, you can't fire him. Now, that's, there are some other guys in this town who fired Tom Coughlin two and three times. Um, I don't say this proudly. I just say it knowing it's true. I, I was the first guy to fire him late in the 06 season. Um, yep. And so not only did, did that, that force me the next year, the very next year, of course, to write a man call, but that I was wrong, which I don't think a lot of people do either. But I think it also, it, it also allowed – I do think there were other people who would hear that. So once you fire a guy, then you've got to just kind of, kind of, kind of wait. Now, some, I think most of the time, most of us use that bullet when it's almost going to happen. So it's like, you know, we're not really necessarily you know, fostering new ground here. But in, in, in Collins' case, I remember very distinctly firing him in Washington, D.C. in August of, of, of 14. I just thought it was, I, I just thought it was time. I just thought that, that, that the body work was enough to where we just realized that the Mets were never going to flourish under him. And so that's when I fired my bullet. And it didn't happen. And in, in 15, when I was firing my bullets, they were, mostly just, they, were, they were mostly aimed at the general manager at the time. So I didn't even have to worry about, you know, even ran away the from manager. you. Right? The general manager dog, ran, yeah. He ran <laughs> away with you with his golden retriever. <laughs> that was, that was hysterical. But I do think that, that I, I can always think, I guess, from, for, for, for the arc with me is that, so he was out of my line of fire and probably remains this way. I mean, they could lose 20 games in a row. And I'm going to adhere to my thing. I got, I, I, I got my chance and I missed. You know, when you come to King, you best not miss. Isn't that what Omar said in the wire? And so, yeah. and so to, to me, I, and I do think a lot of us took our, took our, our fired our bullets at him early in, earlier in his tenure. And so I do think that's probably allowed him, among many media voices, to not be under the, on the constant griddle. You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, I, I, I do think that, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, if, 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 this, if this little two-game renaissance the Mets are on right now leads to, you know, winning you know, 20 wins in 25 games, Cespedes is back, and all of a sudden you look up, it's August 1st, Kindergarten's back, and there's a real pennant race, then it's only going to feed into the narrative that we've, that we've written about Terry being, what you said, a survivor, what I said, being able to rescue his teams from the abyss. And if it goes the other way, and, you know, they, 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 they want up losing 10 out of 12, and they're, they're out of it by July 15th, It'll be interesting to see just how completely the narrative turns. Here's one last thought for you. Here's the world. You go back to 2010 when Collins was hired. If I told you, Bill Jackson's the idiot and Collins the hero in New York media, <laughs> what what would you would you what would you have said to them? Think about that. Right? I would have had them take your I would have had them take your microphone away from you, Michael, because there's no way that that would have been right. true, right? But there's yeah, still absolutely. people that the. There's still people that want that to happen. Hey, it's listen. It's more. It's it's about as unlikely as you having. Uh, dinner with Calipari and Sandy Alderson at the same time, right? Is that is that, that would that, that would be something, you know? Be a, be a pass the potatoes, please, and you wind up getting hit in the jaw. <laughs> right, right. Actually, probably Calipari is the one I'd watch more than Sandy. I don't That's know. That's probably right. What, That's probably what right. What do you uh, What do you got coming up? At uh, obviously at Mike Vac on Twitter, uh, New York Post. What anything else you got coming up? You want the listeners to know about? Well, you know, I thought I thought that uh, yesterday I'd be having to write a couple of uh, horse racing columns the next three weeks, but uh, since there'll be no Triple Crown, I can stay away from Belmont Park. So there's that. Um, it's going to be mostly baseball for me. You know, I mean, it's, you know, when the Knicks become newsy, I'll, I'll certainly write off that. But from now until the end of the summer, I mean, or until, you know, the, the Mets or Yankees go on an epic losing streak, it's going to be about baseball. And to me, that's the, that's, that's the most fun time of the job is when you're, you're picking – it's, it's not about picking a sport. It's picking a team, picking a subject, because baseball is a, a great uh, – look, we could continue this conversation for another three hours if we wanted to. That's what we like to write about baseball in this town. There's always something to write about. There's always a topic, always a subject, and that's what uh, that's when it gets fun. Absolutely. Hey, you've been very generous with your time on the weekend. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll do this again, Mike. All righty? That sounds great, Mike. It's always fun to spend time with you. And that's Mike Vaccaro, New York Post, at Mike Vac on uh, Twitter. Very interesting stuff. A couple of uh, final thoughts. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back with final thoughts right after this. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. 
If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. All right, final thoughts here. Uh, great stuff there from Mike Vaccaro. And um, uh, one real thing I wanted just to wrap up here with was Jose Reyes. And I looked it up during the break here. And Jose Reyes is, is a couple things. So if you go to the, the baseball reference play index and find total. So basically, here's what I did. I took the position of shortstop. I that's so it's basically you do any you go and uncheck all the positions you go to shortstop and 75% was where I put the minimum games so you have to play 75% of your games at shortstop and then said let's sort this by hits so let's see 2000 hits by Reyes obviously some of them come at at third base because he played third base last year so let's put 75% of games at shortstop so just keep in mind still a ton of games at shortstop and here are the results if you bring them up. Jose Reyes, after hitting his uh, 2,000 hit, is in actually the top 25, or will be close to the top 25. He needs another 53, 53 hits to hit Orlando Cabrera, and that would put him in the top 25 all-time of hits as a player who played 75% of his games at shortstop. Now, I don't think baseball reference gives you the breakdown of hits by position, I could be wrong. They just say, hey, Jose Reyes has 2,002 hits. He's played 75% of his games in his career at shortstop. Here's where he ranks. If you take the, sh- the third base hits out, which are pretty much everything for the most part since last year, obviously that number is significantly less. But uh, here's a guy that's jumping into territory. The next 100 hits will put him in with names like Alvin Dark, Gary Templeton, Orlando Cabrera. Orlando Cabrera quietly had a nice little career. Quietly. Uh, if you put Jose Reyes with his, his stolen bases, he's in the top, top 10. Uh, with wins above replacement, he's, uh, you know, he's in the top 35. Jose Reyes quietly has had a good career. Not the career maybe everybody wanted, and I, and I even said that with, with Wright, and we'll keep getting to Wright another time. I don't want him. We've talked a lot today. Uh, you know, so I don't want to get into a baseball reference, uh, quote unquote, orgy here. But uh, I really thought about it during the break. So hopefully you enjoyed it. I really listen. I I, I really enjoy Mike Vaccaro's work, and um, I just thought that he had a couple of columns that were good for debate. And uh, you know, why not? Why not get into it? I mean, the only thing that would have made it better is maybe we do it next week because next week the, the Mets play at eight o'clock. Uh, they don't have an, a, a day off the day after, so I, I believe we're going to have uh, an early show, probably do something in the morning, and usually uh, because by the time you get to it and then there's a game, who the hell knows what will happen. It could go, the content could go stale, stuff like this. The Vaccaro piece could, could be a little bit more fresh over the course of a few days, but I digress. So we're, we're subject to one of those ESPN games, it seems like, next Sunday. Who knows? Maybe the, maybe the league will get mad. The Mets are on the 500. The Pirates haven't been playing well. And they'll pull them. I don't think that they do that stuff. It's not the NFL. It's still early, but maybe they'll pull them. But I, I don't think we're going to be that lucky. Anyway, I want to thank Mike Vaccaro for joining me today. Check him out on Twitter, at Mike Vac. Of course, Mike Vaccaro, the New York Post. Great stuff at the New York Post. Check out his piece about New York managers. He also had a piece about retired numbers earlier in the month. Great stuff. Of course, you can check me out all the time in this show at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet, at MikeSilvaMedia. Go to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire to get this show. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Leave me a review on iTunes. 
See you next week. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.